Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And for this month's edition of Horror Bites, our monthly indie horror segment in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie horror titles, we have a crop of Horror Bites to chat about which can typically be completed in less than an hour. And before we get started, our usual reminder, while some of these titles we discuss may be free, we believe it's important to support the developer's hard work. So if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages. How's it going, Neil? It's uh, once again our favorite time of the month, chatting uh, a bunch of you know indie horror titles that we've kind of randomly stumbled upon uh, without doing much research into. And uh, yeah, you know, I think as always, we have a group of games that cover a variety of sort of subgenres and play styles and, you know, the requirements with which they were made. A lot of them are like game jams, right? Stuff that's been made uh, in just a couple of days. So I'm excited to dive into this month's batch with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, always fun. I know it doesn't make us sound very professional to say that we just do, don't do any research and just go into it random. Well, but that, that is the hook, to be fair, of Horror Bites. So, yeah. We do a fair bit of research uh, on our other episodes. I think we're covered uh, in That's this it, one yeah. segment. The, the, this is uh, more of a case of just going in dark as we can and yeah. you know, doing do the, the VHS approach at the old rental store and just looking at the box and going, that looks interesting. Well, have a go at that and like that you know you don't know what you end up with and sometimes it's a gem sometimes it's not and i think this is definitely a month that proves that theory more than any for sure but uh, i think you're going to start the month off for us with the lingering pit your uh, continued streak of text-based adventure games yes uh, yeah the lingering pit is um a yes as you said a text adventure very basic twine game uh, made by Thurman Pangillion Gillen. and yeah it's not going to be much to say about this because it's so simple um, but yeah I, d- I did enjoy it quite a lot so I'm just uh, quickly saying it um, yeah and it's the usual sort very descriptive to start out on um, again I can't tell you too much because it's kind of relies on getting into it um, each sort of couple of paragraphs you'll get a word that's basically highlighted that you have to click on to continue the story so it doesn't initially give you a lot of choice so it you are doing the bare minimum of interaction with what it's doing um but it does a couple of cool bits you know it's like sets the scene really nicely with this whole bathroom thing you get at the beginning of just sort of going through your daily routine going on about this sense of dread that you've got coming in and yeah, it that's nice in itself, and it takes little pauses, you know, sometimes between sentences or, or even mid-sentence, and sort of breaks up into little individual words, and just for pauses for dramatic effect. Um, again, one of those games where I find some nice ambient music to really sort of set this to, because I think it really helps uh, sell what it's doing. Um, okay, so the main thing that happens is that in this house that you're doing in morning routine, you had this sense of dread and suddenly there's a cavernous pit literally just in your living room wall. And that's it. And you have the choice to go there or not. And you know, you got to go there, aren't you? So, and with that, you basically sink this further and further down into this, uh, strange place that starts to defy logic more and more and more, you know, as much as it already did, 
by being a cavernous pit in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> but it that's, that's quite interesting. Um, it's um goes for a nice bit of surreal stuff without really pushing it to uh, oh, isn't this weird sort of nature? It just keeps the story flowing nicely. It keeps it telling the story and it's not really going for a stinger it's just going for a you know this is the way something you know there's a sort of path to follow in this um that is obviously the dark path and you know that's the bad ending the bad way to end this game and i think that's really well done in terms of like um you have to make sort of personal sacrifices along the way and you know in most horror that would be like very violent and brutal ways of um finding out that you know, the, the punishment for your actions but here it, it's very subtly done and kind of leaves it on a really chilling note uh, to sort of go out on so yeah small small thing very short to the point not highly interactive couple of choices here and there but does tell a really cool story i think how about you on this one well the game starts with the idea of climbing out of a warm bed during winter, which is a pretty mm-hmm. terrifying start to any game, uh, if I might say. That's, that's the it, dread there. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, mostly to uh, kind of echo what you've been saying, you know, it has a very familiar setup in terms of being a text-based adventure. But I think, like you had noted, it's more about the dramatic pauses with yeah. which, you know, before the next line of dialogue comes at certain key points that does a great job of kind of the heavy lifting of building tension. Because like you said, out of a majority of the text-based adventures that we've played so far for Horror Bites, I would say this is the one that is not necessarily going for like a big over-the-top type of scare or something like that. It's more, I think, about – it's more introspective, right? I'm not going to get into like spoils where the story goes, but it's more about facing the player with this – dream like nightmare type of thing but it's more about reflection inwards than like oh now a monster comes across your path or whatnot um so in that regard i think the writing is attuned to that and you know the dramatic pauses i think do a good job of keeping you engaged and making choices that aren't you know avoid the monster by going left or right which is kind of like the typical sort of pitfall for these text adventures Uh, i will say there's one moment where you're digging and then you have to quite literally like scroll further down the text yes. and it says deeper and deeper and deeper. Like little moments like that are such a smart use, I think, of making this format, which I think a majority of people probably view as like, well, it's fairly limited, right? It's just text. Mm. But this is an example of how I think you can get the most out of the writing. The writing here, I think, uh, happens to be quite good, but it just shows the potential for you know, how these things can be paced in a way. Uh, or the display, rather, yeah. that can give them a little more sort of punch to what's happening uh, and whatnot. Yeah. Like you said, I totally agree. I played this with ambient music. That went a long way, I think, because, um, you know, for me, yeah. it's partially atmosphere, and the other side is just drowned out the tinnitus. Um, <laughs> but I think that the ambient music, no matter what anybody picks, you know, sort of that dark, if you YouTube dark ambient music, you're yeah. sure to find something that uh, is resemblant of like a stormy night or have some type of dread in uh yeah. in the tunes that are going into it. But exactly. uh other than that, you know, there's a couple of endings. I went back and replayed and I like that you can skip the intro that sets the stage so you can get right into the story to jump into those other uh mm. paths. And you know, I'll say that they are worth exploring. 
uh, if people, you know, typically are not super into exploring alternate endings. I thought these were pretty good and uh, add a bit of replayability. But yeah, I think this was a good place to start for the month. Yeah, it's a, you know, I think Twine is such a an accessible way of getting across like game ideas, and you know, it's nice to see something made so punchy and short and simple out of it that works. Yeah, so um, we go on to your first pick of the month. Yeah, my first pick of the month is Uma by Kyra Egon. And in Uma, the player plays a construction worker sleeping at a job site far from the city. Um, They're aware that a Peruvian myth of something lives in that immediate area, um, but they are forced to leave the safety of their trailer uh, to brave the night when the work site's power goes out. So right from the jump, you know, you and I have talked previously about uh, the ways in which light sources work in horror games and how those can be really effective. Yeah. And more often than not, they end up being somewhat of a hindrance to like the atmosphere or the tension because it just illuminates everything. And in this, I thought that from the outset, it was interesting that, you know, all you have is a match and you have this sort of little small sort of pool of light that emanates from that. So your vision is obscured, which is partially something that I like because it sort of adds more attention to what you're investigating because, you know, not everything is immediate clear uh, what you're looking at sometimes. So in that sense, you know, searching for this power source along this construction site with limited visibility is quite ominous. Um, and the game, you know, has one of those retro VHS filters that we've uh, come to know and love so much with so many of these horror bites. And unfortunately for me, Uma doesn't do much more than have the beginnings of something that, you know, kind of checks a couple of boxes for me in terms of these, you know, VHS style uh, first person experiences. Other than that, this really didn't do a whole lot for me because you kind of go from point A to point B and just not much happens, unfortunately. There's a couple of supernatural events that occur, one or two that basically just obscure your progression through an area or block rather. And then you kind of run through the paces of finding this power box, going back to the trailer, going back to the power box, and then you kind of have this ending that has the scare that the game's in building to, which I found to be underwhelming, mm. uh, I'll say, and not all that surprising. It's very short. The graphical style, I thought, was intriguing enough, but unfortunately for me, it just didn't really have much to it that we haven't seen elsewhere. Mm. Um, did you feel somewhat similar to Uma? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when I saw that they were inspired by um, Ken Forrest, who we've covered on a couple of episodes with LIDAR XC and Please Don't Litter, um, I was like, okay, uh, you know, those are games I'm really fascinated by that, that uh, particular creator's stuff. So if it's like that, brilliant. Um, but, you know, it, unfortunately, that comparison really doesn't help it, you know, because there's fundamentals that just don't work here. I mean, I'm all for a bit of, you know, absurdism and nonsense in games. It's just gamey stuff. You know, when you're light source, you're trying to be different and, you know, just have a match, you know. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Tortures have been done to death. We get it. But, you know, an infinite match doesn't really feel like it's worth a point in doing. I know it's barely useful, which, again, just kind of makes you think, well, why bother sort of at all? Um, but, so, yeah, that sort of, bugged me throughout and because it was so dark anyway that it was really hard to sort of know where you were going 
and everything just kind of fell together and looked the same. I mean, I like the style of it quite enough, and you know, the setup sounds interesting, it just doesn't seem to go anywhere, as you say. And you kind of just it could do with being a little more structured, I think, rather than being a bit as open as it is, you know, to this sort of experience. I think it's just you know, you can go pretty much to all the places that you will end up going. Um, throughout the story as you sort of wander around aimlessly and that kind of takes some of the edge out of it um, and it does that weird sort of you can 3D thing of like buildings just sort of falling in front of you and stuff to stop you going places which you know is a cool idea in a way of stopping you taking a certain path but it doesn't really sort of seem to go with any reason, rhyme or reason as to why uh, but yeah, it, it's it's okay. You know, I, I think that there's something to be mined from it and used for later projects, without doubt. So, you know, I think uh, Kyra Hagen will learn from this one and sort of um, refine their skill set as they go. But yeah, as a first ever, it's a bit bit weak. But yeah, we, we can see something there, I, I'd say. Yeah. That's uh, that's fair enough. Yeah, I think that half the time when you're playing something, it's like, okay, it's either going to nail the visuals or from a gameplay standpoint, it's going to be engaging. And at some, you know, we've played enough of these. We've definitely played a few bites that uh, didn't have either. So it's not the end of the world when one of these only kind of delivers on one facet of that. And like you said, it'll be a building block, hopefully for uh, future projects. But uh, next, we're going to talk about the dark ways, other sides. Yes, we are, which unfortunately um, takes us slightly lower down the path uh, again. Um, this is a psychological survival horror game by Purple Panzer. And, you know, the front door image of this, everything else, the title screen, the music, great front half, you know, great way to sort of get you into that. You know, I love the sort of use of yellow for once in a horror game um, beginning aesthetic. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Um when you get into it, uh, at first is a feeling that it, maybe it's just being a bit, you know, surreal and over the top and gaudy, you know, on purpose. Yeah, I mean, the character models are like very, um, you know, Baldi's basics, you know, when we're talking about this sort of thing. They are not the best looking things, but yeah, you know, I can roll with that if there's like a point to that you know and you sort of try to poke fun and have a bit of tongue-in-cheek nature to it unfortunately the game that follows that little intro sequence pretty much tells you that no because it is just wandering around a bunch of corridors with something chasing you sometimes not chasing you and it's not very engaging at all unfortunately it is um the most boiled down version of um the whole chased by a thing through corridors uh <laughs> stick that you can get which which is unfortunate you know because like i said it it started so well i was hoping we'd kind of see something there but you know i think there's a slight sort of language problem in terms of some of the dialogue because it's a bit you know it doesn't make proper sense in english you know there's words that aren't right there's just the you know the way sentences are constructed don't really make sense at all and that's like i said that's why initially i was like okay there's some sort of weird vibe going on here maybe and they're sort of going for something a bit surreal we've seen it before 
how you can get misdirected by games like that. Like that, they usually turn out to be games that take something from that and keep pushing further down that sort of particular path. Whereas this actually just gets more ordinary. Yeah, the more the further it goes, and suddenly it's nothing feels special beyond that sort of <laughs> menu, which is it's horrible to say because you know I you know I never really want to be overly critical of anyone making the effort to go out there and make these things but you know it almost feels like that was the idea first yeah there was a bit more time put into that to sort of cover up for the problems at the other end it's I don't really see anything to this as a game that was worthy of being redemptive or showed promise you know as we were just saying with Uma where you know it's like you can kind of see what they're going for you can see what they're inspired by and maybe with time and progress they could get there this just doesn't feel like it at all I mean like no yeah it it felt like a rushed uh tech demo to me because you know you can see the functionality there right they're using uh, cutscenes and whatnot, and then you have the interactivity portion, which is some light puzzle interacting with parts of the environment and these things. But you know, it quite frankly is just kind of brutally unfinished in a lot of ways. It lacks the polish. Um, it lacks, you know, there's the I suppose language barrier stuff aside. You know, the overall just the world itself, and like you said, even early on, the the uh, character models themselves. Or just they, I thought it was supposed to be like you'd said something that was very surreal. That was supposed to be this very sort of abstract and just sort of bizarro world approach to character design. And then just the longer you're in it, it's like this feels like something that is just not polished to the degree that somebody would want it to be, or you know that you would hope it would be. So in that regard, you know, it just it feels like an unpolished tech demo that is showing off some mechanics and whatnot. And, Mm. you know, to your use of, uh, or to your point about the use of uh, the color yellow, right? There's a couple of prompts in the game where the screen goes completely yellow and then it has words on it, like when you're getting pursued by the creature, where it basically says, like, run. And I thought that was an interesting concept at first, but then the more I started to think about how unpolished everything is, it made me think maybe they just don't know how to get the text on screen while the player is in control. Uh, Like they had to cut to a cutscene almost to have the text pop up. Um, So in that regard, it's like, oh, this isn't actually really a cool sort of feature or stylistic feature. It's just more so, again, part of the awkward, unpolished nature of this, um, which is unfortunate. And yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, we're going to come across these bites every once in a while that, are just not really ready for public consumption, it seems. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think this is one of them, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, what I will say is from checking out the developer a little bit, uh, background-wise, it seems that they are, you know, an artist first and foremost. And mm. I think that shows in the, the, the positive aspects of this uh, as a project. So, yeah, they clearly have talent. But maybe making a game isn't that, you know, for them you know, at this point, or it will take time. Um yeah, the, the, so I, it's not done with dishonesty or just making a cheap mm-hmm. buck. I think it's just, you know, talent not translating to another medium quite as well as it could do. So, you know, that much uh, you can at least say. You know, there, there is something there in that regard. Yeah, but uh, before we take a break, we're going to 
take a, uh, a quick turn back to something a little more positive, I promise, to uh, people listening. But uh, I'm going to chat about Murder at Mingus Manor, which is a hell of a title, uh, by Faya Damara. Mm -hmm. This was made in five days for a game jam in which the player plays a detective investigating a murder at a dinner party, except the guests are all monsters. Uh, you now have an hour to investigate the scene of the crime and interview the remaining guests before the killer strikes again. So this was, from a technical standpoint, I thought really impressive. Um, not, you know, even the art style was standing because this was a 3D game that was made in Scratch, yeah. which I didn't even know that you could do. Not that I'm super well versed in Scratch, but what I've seen of it, um, it's the type of thing where I was like, I didn't even know you could make something in first person that is as interactive as this is, mm -hmm. uh, which kind of just speaks to like, again, when you have somebody that is not only talented in multiple ways, they're going to figure out how to make a game work based on, you know, what tools are at their disposal. Yeah. And for my money, I think that this is a good example of that. Um, this has a really great sort of black and white sketchbook aesthetic. Hmm. Uh, you know, it kind of has the bare bones feel of really early sort of Wolfenstein almost, I think, in terms hmm. of the world. It's, you know, the art style is in terms of the geography of it is pretty crude but you can still pick things out, but it's more so about the monsters themselves that come through really clearly in their designs. Um, and each one of the ones you interact with and basically interrogate has a different look to it, a different sort of morphology, which is really neat. And each of them has their own sort of personality. And so in terms of those personalities, like the dialogue options have a certain set of categories and then each monster responds differently. So you can interrogate them. What's their alibi? You can ask them about their relationship with the person that's been murdered and so forth. And I thought each one was written uniquely enough that each interaction felt fun. It was, uh, again, sort of it was a combination of morose humor, um, the type of thing where, you know, they're monsters and yet some of them have attitude. Some of them are not a fan of the police. And so, you know, you're dealing with these sort of uh, multitudes of either combative or terrified or people that are in the middle, you don't really know what to think about them. Um, I will say, as much as I enjoyed that aspect of it, you know, the mystery itself couldn't be more straightforward. Like you pretty much know almost immediately after interacting with one or two clues and one or two monsters, it's very straightforward. Um, and, you know, I guess the one thing I'll say is, I can see this being a much larger type of experience, right? If it wasn't the parameters of a game jam, who's to say how many monsters there would be to inter interrogate, how many different art styles for those monsters there would be, and dialogue options and so forth. Um, you know, despite the fact that this small bite is very, very simple and can, can be completed in probably 10 minutes, I see growth in this project to the degree that, you know, I could see this becoming a sort of full-fledged, experience along the lines of um uh, what was that one that we covered uh inviting an owl to dinner or something that we covered yeah. a few months back i could see it this being extrapolated into a project that is around the same length as something like that or even longer um but i'm curious how did you find murder at mingus manor yeah i mean i've got a soft spot for these kind of games anyway because um i think of stuff like paradise killer which is basically you know the, the same idea of this you know where you have a very open-ended case um in that game's case of the is more open-ended than this and it's like a far bigger version of this project so this is like a microcosm of that 
stuff like Danganronpa, that you know, great stuff that works in this sort of visual novelly sort of three D world sort of thing going on. Um, so yeah, I, I like that it was taking that and pushing it into this like smaller form, and you know, again, a game jam game, so just you know, done in a short space of time. Obviously, some things are going to get sacrificed, and I think you know, making a complex thing regarding who the killer is is was probably not technically the, the priority here. But that's fine. You know, I think the look, as you said, and the, that's the best thing about game jam things is you know they have that potential then to be something bigger because they aren't the finished uh, product, so to speak. And yeah, so with that visual style, you know, with the characters and this sort of you, know, you, you get a sense of the world that has been created here. You know, it, it's as limited and simple as it is. You know, you are in a different place, and you very much feel that from the off straight away. And yeah, it, it works surprisingly well in that regard. And I think it's a really nice or bite-sized version of that kind of experience that I, I quite enjoy. Yeah, a monster who done it uh, is definitely something that checks a lot of boxes for both of us. Um, but I think before we continue with the back half of Horror Bites for this month, we're going to take a quick break and we will be exploring the rest of those very shortly. And we are back from our break and we're going to dive right into your next pick, which is Say Nice Things About Detroit. <laughs> Which alone was just like I have to. Know, I had to know what this game is. <laughs> just um, it, it certainly grabs you right from the uh, itchio screen, doesn't it? It does. Um, yeah. So you have no weapons in this game by by Uga, uh, which is W um, G R. Um, you have no magic powers, no skills to fend off zombies in a post-apocalyptic Detroit. Uh, all you have is kindness over it. So every nice thing you say about Detroit will destroy another zombie and bring the city one step closer to salvation, as it says. Now, so it's like typing of the dead, you know, if anyone's ever played that, where you are just like typing words to defeat the enemies. But with that sort of special twist of like, you have to type these nice things as they start scrolling across the screen. Now, <laughs> one of the things I kind of liked about this that felt like a, a kind of dig at Detroit despite it being saying nice things about Detroit, is how fucking hard it is to type the words in time. You know, at yeah. the the <laughs> yeah. like, I thought that, intentional or not, that's hilarious, I think, because it's just like, it's so hard to say the words <laughs> and yeah. just not get munched on by zombies. <laughs> it, it's a very simple side-scrolling uh, thing. Your character going across, zombies coming there, type the words in before they uh, you know they get to you. Not my strong suit, I would say, in typing. You know, I, I'm a very slow typer with that, and usually have to go back and correct myself, even on words I know very well, uh, just because I've got ham hands. So um, <laughs> it was uh, that may speak a lot about me rather than what the game is doing. Yeah, so it, it's simple in it, its um, execution, but and you know, it's made for a game development class um, in 2021. And yeah, it, it just does the trick. It's like, yeah, you know, it is very much one of those games that does what it says on the tin. Yeah, you know, it is there. Say nice things about Detroit, and there you do it, and you will succeed. And apparently that's harder than it should be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, apart from, I'll start by saying, 
you know, I like the concept of quite literally killing zombies with kindness, mm. uh, as you know, you put it. I think that that is a a great spin on that very tried and true convention of something like the typing of the dead, right? And kind of taking that format and then pairing it with this sort of hometown pride angle, right? The words that you end up typing to, you know, kill the zombies in theory is stuff like exceptional or flourishing, right? These words that have not always been used to describe Detroit, uh, you know, within the last 20 or so years and these things. But I will say, you know, you said that you admitted you are a slow typer. I'm somebody that is actually a very fast typer. And I found that I could barely progress in this game because it, it the, either I'm typing way too fast, but <laughs> I found it to be very unresponsive to the degree that I couldn't get, I typed two words and then I would try to slow down because I'm a very fast typer. But even in sort of this slow hunt and peck like my father, um, it's the type of thing that it barely would register or it gets stuck like three or four words in or letters in sometimes. And then if your guy keeps moving and then you come face to face with a zombie, you basically can't type anymore once you come yeah. into contact with the zombie, which doesn't really make sense because you have a health bar, right? It's one yeah. thing if if you can't type fast enough or you keep screwing up to the degree that your guy progresses and bumps into a zombie and you die instantly, that's one thing, right? But if you have a health bar and the words keep scrolling, but it's being unresponsive as soon as I touch a zombie, it's like, well, just have it be one hit, one kill then. But that was my experience overall with it was just that it was too unresponsive to really capitalize on that typing of the dead framework and whatnot, which is a bummer because- like you've kind of said, I mean, as a packet, as a repackaging of something that is somewhat familiar, I thought that this had an angle that was pretty humorous and that kept me engaged, right? Of seeing what was going to come next in terms of yes. the words that you have to type and that theme of, you know, be nice to Detroit, basically. Um, so I was more disappointed, I would say, with this one than a majority of your picks or of the picks for this month, just yeah. because I saw so much premise or a promise in it, rather. Um, but yeah, it was just too unresponsive. And even when I made pains to like slow down and type slowly, it still was just as unresponsive, which I think is a shame. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely noticed some of that. Um, maybe it's just the speed I was going out that made it less of a problem. Um, but <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's no sort of clear idea of when, what your sort of target range is for hitting these words. Yeah, and it does throw up the odd word that I don't think you're supposed to type in, basically. Like, uh, it will, you know, negative descriptors, you know, especially. Um, but yeah, it's ambiguous enough that unfortunately it does leave a bit of sort of leeway to, well, is this right? Am I doing this right? And that's fine. You know, it, it's a student project meant to be displayed as such. So, yeah, it, it's disappointing. But again, one of those where you can go, well, I, I get it. You know, I, I see where the point was. So we just um, build on that, really. But in going from that, I would love to chat about See No Fear from developer and overthinker. And See No Fear is a part of an experimental horror uh, sort of, I suppose, anthology called Bite Size Terrors, yeah. in which the dev plays around with unique genres and styles of gameplay. And so for See No Fear, you and your girlfriend Rebecca are driving when a series of strange radio messages play 
indicating some sort of invasion. Uh, your car suddenly careens off the road, crashing into the woods below. Uh, when you wake up, you see that Rebecca has disappeared and your glasses have broken in the fall. So now the player must stumble through the woods in search of her with limited visibility. So I thought that this game right from the jump has a really terrific approach to its visual style. Things are very blurry because, as I said, your yep. glasses are broken. So your vision is not going to be perfect. And this does a lot, I think, in terms of taking the sort of standard you know, Blair Witch sort of influence of mm. traipsing through the woods at night with limited visibility. And it really does apply a little more, I suppose, immersion to the experience. You feel like you're embodying this person. But at the same time, what it does a great job of is obscuring the monsters that you're going to be seeing periodically. You know, you're going to see the blurry outlines of various types of critters mm. in trees, behind trees, or, you know, off in the distance kind of peeking out at you. And in terms of that, I think it does a great job of, you know, the monster designs are varied enough that just from seeing their silhouette and a little bit of them in detail, it does a great job of maybe either hiding some of the limitations of art styles or at the same time, just that sense of like, oh, if you show too much of anything, it's not going to be as scary. But if you show a silhouette of something or small details, your mind is going to concoct something that is far more terrifying than whatever you actually end up seeing. Uh, so from that aspect, I really liked. Uh, I thought also it had great sound design, both in terms of the voiceover work for your character and you know the radio in, uh, intermissions that you hear in the beginning of the game. But at the same time, you know, the rustling in the wilderness. And I played with headphones as, you know, everybody should. And that did a great job of just building unease and tension, I thought, considering, you know, there's not a great deal of danger. There's one section where you have to kind of run away from something. But overall, it's mostly you just traipsing through the woods trying to find your girlfriend. And the sound design does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of atmosphere and also just unnerving. Uh, considering there's only a limited number of uh, monster encounters mm. and whatnot. But uh, how did you find See No Fear? Yeah, so I know uh, straight from the off the fact that it is this sort of opening to short 10 minute horror game experiences. It's like, you know, tailor made for this show. Yeah. That's you know, great. It's like, it, it almost feels like we've been fed an algorithm, you know, at, yeah. <laughs> um, which is fine. That's good. Um, more of this in that regard. Um, yeah, I fucking love Blair Witch and Horror in the Woods stuff, so that that's always going to be an easy way to forgive any game if it's got problems. So when initially this game sort of wandering through the woods felt a bit aimless um, to me anyway, I, I was like, you know, I'm not sure if this is really grabbing me, but, you know, as with that premise so i really wanted to sort of take it on and you know with the promise of it being like a 10 minute thing you pretty much they're going oh, okay you know i'll see it through whatever and i'm glad i did because you know not to say that we just give up on anything anyway but it's just you know sometimes you play these things and you know what you've seen you know what you're going to see and that will be that here it's like well there's obviously a logical sort of conclusion to what's going to happen here so persevere so after that sort of choppy opening which is atmospheric still, um, yeah, it escalates nicely and has sort of that bewildering quality that you should have uh, for that sort of setting. 
and yeah, it's pretty well executed. I think you know it's um like most sort of anthology ideas, it covers old ground in its own way, and that's fine because that's why I expect of most anthology sort of things that you will sort of cover those tropey sort of places, types, and you know stories, and that's that's perfectly fine because they they work. And you know they're great bedrock for telling stories in any medium. And here, yeah, I think there's a nice twist to this one that makes it especially unique in that regard. Yeah, and you know it doesn't outstay its welcome, which I think is indicative of the fact that they are aware of how to best utilize the anthology sort of uh, grouping of these short experiences. Yeah. Right, the fact that this does what it does. It leaves a distinct mark on a formula that's very sort of tried and true at this point, but it gets in and gets out and it doesn't really overstay that welcome, which uh, is pretty imperative. I think we've found with uh, yes. some of these types of experiences in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, it, it's a, a good time, has to be said. But we are, uh, you know, sh- shockingly already at your last pick of the <laughs> month. Uh, <laughs> so why don't you tell us about uh, the Eyes Embrace Yes, the Eyes Embrace, and this is a demo of a game that is yet to be released. And, you know, we do occasionally sort of go with this one. Now, I was a bit sort of eye-rolling at this one when I saw, like, the first thing of, like, this is an 18-plus adult horror game. Do not download or interact with this if you're under the age of 18. I just thought, by that. <laughs> yeah, you know, for anyone that obviously can't see me right now, you know, I'm just doing my little eye-roll going, yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, very cute. Um <laughs> Yeah, and they had the content warnings for just everything that's mm-hmm. in it, which is fire. But um, I looked at the look of it, and you know, it's a visual novel style thing where you are a college student who's talking about your friend that you've made there, like that, and then this friend is so understanding that they've secured you tickets for this gig for this metal band you really love, and like that, and they're going to take you, and yeah, obviously that doesn't go well. So, um, <laughs> um, and it goes to some interesting places. I, I don't want to go too much into it because even the demo sort of takes a nice turn. That, you know, they don't really go too much there, but you know, the influence points are there straight from the off, saying you know uh, stuff from like Guillermo del Toro's Crimson Peak and obviously Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know that they, they are very much aiming for that kind of gothic horror story, but in a modern sense, which works quite well uh, when you really get into it. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting start for whatever the story is going to, where it's going to go. You are set up with what the hook will be for the main story, you know, for your protagonist and what they must achieve by the end of it all. And, you know, you know, setting it out with a very doom and gloomy sort of uh, outlook and how are you going to get out of this one sort of thing. And it works quite well. I was very impressed with the the writing on this one. You know, odd spelling mistakes aside, you know, that happens. Um, art style, fairly simple, but colourful, vibrant. It does the job, descriptive. And an interesting set of characters already, you know. So I, I was... Um, yeah, quite impressed by it at the start of this little one. How did you get on? I thought it did a good job right out the gate of establishing a setting, but more importantly, you know, a sense of 
feelings and emotions that are tied to that, right? It begins with you being in college and moving to a new town and, you know, the protagonist having these kind of almost delusions of grandeur, right? About how this is going to be a new start, right? And I think that's something that everybody that's ever moved or gone to school in a new place can, uh, you know, can relate to on some level, right? The idea that, oh, this is going to be a brand new start where this is going to drastically change my life, the trajectory of things. And then, you know, as the protagonist admits, within the span of like two weeks or something, they're like, yeah, I mean, it's it's a new place, but it's like, this is not the cosmic shift in my life I thought it was going to be. So I thought little details did a good job in establishing the setting and the protagonist's state of mind in a short period of time quite well for a demo. You know, there's a little detail, like they talk about Trash Creek, which is where people quite literally throw trash into a creek. Uh, like just little details like that, I think, set the stage in a way in a short period of time, which is great. Um, one thing that I did like in terms of the music was how the music changes based on what is currently being talked about or the mood, which is not always the case with visual novels, um, whether they have music or not. But at the same time with this, like when you start the game, there's kind of this ambient track. And then when you get into the car to go to the concert and you start talking about the band, metal starts playing in the background. So I was a fan of that and just the trajectory of how music shifts and changes to the current conversation that's taking place. Um, like you said, I thought the illustrations were you know, pretty good. They stood out from the environments, which I didn't think were as well done. But at the same time, as you said, they were very expressive, um, which is great. It wasn't these sort of just carbon copy sort of caricatures and that's the end of it, right? They were expressive. They changed to match or to reflect rather the conversation that's being had in a given scene. Um, In terms of where the horror story of this is going, and I don't need to spell that out for people, just so if people are interested, they can go in and find out on their own. Uh, It's not my favorite subgenre of horror. So in that regard, it didn't pique my interest. But like you said, there were very personable characters. So if when if and when this finally comes out, it might be the type of thing where I'm like, eh, maybe I'll check this out to see mm. what happens with this character and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know, it's one of those things though where, like I said, that particular subgenre of horror doesn't necessarily do it for me. But I think there are plenty of people probably that will dig that. So it'll, uh, yeah, I think this is one that has a good production value. I'll say, yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, it's the opposite. You know, I do have a real soft spot for this sort of thing because, um, in a sense, you know, early sort of you know, vampire sort of stuff. And you know, right. we're uh, saying it then. Well, you know, vampires are not, vampires are about, not my thing. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> when we talked about Crimson Peak and Dracula, you know, it's implied. And you know, the way in which it sort of gets to that point is interesting. Um, but I think. Center to what's interesting about this is just how open they make it feel from the beginning in terms of like the relationship between you and your friend and like you know you don't have to be defined as being any one kind of person it works no matter what you know what pronouns gender however you see yourself and it still works because there's a platonic sort of fondness that could be more you know there that um can shift and change depending on who you are and how you view the story. And I thought that was really smartly done from the outset, you know, and they did it really well. So yeah, that, that in itself, 
intrigued me more than anything because and that, that sort of seemed to flow through everything that we saw in the demo that there was a bit of that going on all throughout yeah well uh i think we've got one more title for the month and that's going to be my final pick which is the lacerator which yeah. is a hell of a title i'm not i'm not gonna <laughs> lie I, I love that title it very much um kind of jumps off the itch.io page at you if you will but uh, The Lacerator is from developer Fernando Tits, and you play as Max, simply known as the man who loves sex. <laughs> so he is very clearly uh, an adult entertainer uh, who wakes in a hellish labyrinth after being kidnapped by The Lacerator, a serial killer who mutilates his victims. And The Lacerator has kidnapped Max and the entire cast and crew of Max's latest uh, adult film we'll say. But uh, this game is very much a love letter to survival horror, third person, has that VHS aesthetic yeah. we've come to know and love, which, you know, we've covered plenty of, you know, puppet combo-esque games on this show and whatnot. And I would say that at this point, to mention those qualities of a game and to do so fondly, like, it needs to do something different or something unique, right? I think yeah. we've played so many of them and anybody that's browsed Itch.io has seen that there are countless games that abide or try to abide by those aesthetical sort of tick boxes. Yeah. But that doesn't always like spell out success and it's usually pretty apparent early on. And for me, The Lacerator is an outlier that actually really does capitalize on that love letter homage and those sort of VHS filter aesthetical uh, PSX style games because it, for one, it has those types of tank controls and camera perspectives that fly on the wall, third person that really works, but it does so in a way that felt more refined than it was. So, you know, typically yeah. with me, when I play something with tank controls, it feels quite antiquated. I get frustrated by it because of the rough edges, but with this it felt like it was made for a modern audience. It's far more responsive. It feels a little more tactile and how you can sort of position and maneuver environments and whatnot. I'll say that in terms of that VHS filter aesthetic, there's an extension of that in the world itself and the sort of yeah. scuzziness of the world that really does channel manhunt oh, probably yeah. more so than <laughs> any of these types of experiences that we've played so far. Um, in terms of you know, puzzles and combat puzzles, I would say are fairly straightforward, right? It's like, there's a code for a box you have to figure out through these old documents. Or if you pick up a machete at a certain point, you can like, it's not really a puzzle. You can just like break the chains on a door or something like that. So right out of the gate, not super puzzle heavy, but I will say that the combat, which can either be melee weapon or firearm focused was a lot more responsive than I was anticipating. Again, usually combat is uh quite shoddy i think in yeah. these types of experiences and with this it felt more refined to the degree that you know if you have a firearm out and you press spacebar you'll kick an enemy in the chest which sends them back a little bit so there is a little sort of ebb and flow to combat that i thought gave it more depth than i was anticipating mm. um, i would also say in terms of you know stylistic parts of combat Whenever you deal a final blow to an enemy, there's a brief slow-mo thing where they kind of like fly backwards or you see a blood spurt, which is a nice yeah. kind of touch on that sort of uh, 
the voyeuristic uh, glorification of violence, which is very yes. Manhunt-esque, which I think really clicked uh, for me. But mm. the most unique aspect of this, which, you know, saving the best for last, is the fact that the player can become dismembered at certain points. So, you know, there's a puzzle early on. If you interact with it without following all the steps, you can basically lose an arm. But that doesn't mean death for the player, which is really interesting because then while they don't die from that, it does change the way in which they can interact with the world. Yeah. For instance, I came to a door later on after I'd lost my arm and I couldn't open the door because it requires two arms, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of like a morbid uh, puzzle in and of itself of a uh, survival <laughs> horror game. But uh, yeah, and then, you know, you interact with uh, various items that you come across, various logs and diary entries. You come across these like psychos that are wandering the labyrinth. But then there's the lacerator himself, which is, uh, I'll say, it's very shocking when you see him. And I won't spoil that for people. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if a puzzle doesn't get you, if you get hit by the lacerator, he will take a limb from you, which kind of adds this additional layer to combat with that man antagonist that is uh, very foreboding, I'll say, and definitely more terrifying than just like a standard enemy or something like that. Um, but what did, did you find the lacerator as uh, remarkable as I did? Because I was really taken with this one this month. Yeah, I mean, I was waiting for you to say manhunt as a thing because thematically it's just there. You know, the, I knew the, what I was doing picking this one. There you go. It, it's got that exploitation sort of feel to it where it knows what it's doing. It knows it's trying to be risque and it's playing with that in a really fun way. You know, it's knowing and nodding at everything, you know, that that gravelly voiced intro for Max and you know, the, the man who likes sex is just, it sets the tone immediately. It's like, don't take this overly seriously. It's going to be a thrill ride where you're going to be surviving by the skinny teeth if you're lucky to keep that. And yeah, that sort of mechanic of just losing limbs is, is nuts. And, you know, I think the thing to point out here, this is just an alpha demo of what will be the full game. And that just is the most exciting thing for me about this whole thing. To think this in this stage already, it's already just staking its claim, you know, in a very overworked area, you know, of um, indie games and really just showing its teeth. I think we were just talking earlier about how, you know, when you do the whole sort of maze based, oh, I think it's chasing me horror, how it's fine. Like any sort of horror trope, it's fine if you do it okay or do it well, you know, like that. And we've had two ends of the spectrum here this month. You know, one where it's very clearly not the forte uh, of that developer and not they're not able to really do anything beyond the most basic ordinary version of it and then you had this which is all about the thrill of it you know and all about the thrill of the chase and surviving by the skinny teeth and really just tapping into several well-worn avenues you know and being like yep yeah, we know these well we'll paint these avenues up nicely that, that you want to live on these avenues they're great and yeah it's just so delightfully seedy as a game, I don't take that grimy nature of it. I said the VHS filter makes sense uh, mm. for the world it's in, and 
yeah, I, I was very much into it in that regard. It feels like, you know, the best mix of what was and what is in terms of like grungy, edgy, sort of blood soaked uh, indie horror now. You know, it, it's doing everything that it should do, but putting a real personal spin on it that just makes it feel great. You know, I was um, very impressed with what they do. Still kind of want proper uh, actual uh, controller sort of controls for it because I, I hate playing these kinds of games on keyboards and you know <laughs> th- they've said themselves that that is in the works uh, later but properly but you know for an alpha uh, it's a really tantalizing look at what could be and I just hope it's not too long till we get to see what the uh, full package is yeah that's the thing I you know forgot that it was an alpha already yeah i mean <laughs> the fact that no it surprise is so, yeah i mean it's so polished and it's more so just about you know the length right it is this very small slice but uh, this is definitely something that i'm going to push for us to cover uh when it's inevitably released with the full-fledged uh release and it's yeah. the type of thing too where it really does make you view that scuzzy grindy vhs kind of uh aesthetic but it doesn't have the rough edges that are typically associated with games that either had that aesthetic back in the day or ones that have it now that they're like, well, we're going to rest a little more heavily on the aesthetic rather than polishing up some of the rough edges. And, you know, for me, uh, I would say that this is super refined uh, to the degree that I was went back and replayed it a second time because it just doesn't have that sort of frustration that I typically have with games that are like, oh, let's you know, let's try to resemble this old school style of design, but yeah. we're going to abide almost a little too closely to that and how it handles, which sometimes is a point of frustration for me. And with this, you know, it lacks a lot of that, which made it easy to kind of not only experiment in a first playthrough, but then go back and replay and try to, you know, correct the mistake that lost my limb the first time through, <laughs> um, which I think is going to make for a game that will have more replay value just because I can already see streamers trying to, you know, one shot this without losing a limb and whatnot and the sort of complexities and can go along with that. So yeah, this is one that I think we'll definitely be returning to uh, hopefully in the near future. Yeah. And you know, it's the the thing that obviously is going to be a bit of a problem is the developer is doing it in their free time. Yeah. So it it will probably take longer than most, but um, yeah, it's nice to see a South American dev you know, really just sort of pushing this kind of horror. It's not the first time I think we've seen this in some bigger sort of indie games uh, in the horror space in the last year or so that have really had that you know, um, idea of old school horror in a new sort of way. So I think Tormented uh, was one of those games that had yeah, that, Brazilian yeah. developers. Yeah, and yeah, this is a Brazilian de- developer as well. So you know, it, it's that, it has a bit of that, you know. It has a bit that you know this unabashed, unashamed sort of throwback to what could be, um, and I like that. You know, I, I, I like the boldness of where, where this developer is going with that. So yeah, I, I'm definitely keeping an eye to see uh, where this goes, as you say. But yeah, you know, I think this month was a little more of an outlier in terms of maybe the overall quality of picks, but I think that it was a good reminder. That going into things blind, you know, with certain projects, you're going to have these kind of hit and miss qualities. But I think that still, you know, 
uh, our hit rate in terms of like games that at least leave some semblance of a positive uh, impression on us was more so than it was negative. And then at the same time, we have these outliers that are projects that, you know, we're basically either putting in a, a quite literally a f- document uh, to keep an eye on or just like our mental filing cabinet of games to keep mm-hmm. track of for their development cycle. So, yeah, you know, when you're browsing Itch.io and you kind of just like sight and scene and picking something, it's going to be hit and miss. But, you know, I think it's a testament to the variety of developers that are out there and people that come in with different influences, different interests in certain pockets of horror that have really made it to that way. A majority of the projects that we've covered have been things that, you know, we could see ourselves recommending to others and whatnot. And we're going to have these months every once in a while where some things don't jive with us, but uh, that's all part of, you know, diving into uh, horror in a way that really does allow us to be exposed to more of those influences and more styles of games that, you know, they're not always going to work, but I think more often than not, uh, we get bites. That's it. Yeah. It's like any kind of gambling. You wish your luck was good as we get it most of the time. So no. <laughs> I certainly wish my luck was better in other kind of forms of gambling. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh man. Absolutely. But uh, I guess we can, let people know what we're going to be covering next week, which we're very much looking forward to. We will have a special guest to chat about Layers of Fear, which is a game that we briefly spoke about in an early episode, but we didn't get to chat about in a lot of depth. Um, So I'm very much looking forward to unpacking that with our guest. Um, But yeah, man, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Indeed it is. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at SafeRoomPod for show updates. You can also drop us an email over at SafeRoomPod at gmail.com if you'd like to cover your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.